0: grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They say that there's nothing more dangerous than a half truth. Somebody tells you, you know, I've only gotten four speeding tickets in the last decade. And you say, yeah, but you're only 16 years old. Half-truths can be so dangerous. We know this from politicians, right? Politicians say, well, I promise that this is going to happen. We say, but you didn't give us a timeline for that. Yeah, it'll happen someday. The danger of half-truths. And Paul, as he writes to the Colossians, he's addressing some problematic half-truths that had infiltrated their way into the church in Colossae. He wants to address them and show them the fullness of truth that is found only in Christ. Uh, If you've got your worship folder, I encourage you to to keep that out, or if you'd like to grab the Pew Bible as well, because we're gonna be working our way through our reading tonight from Colossians chapter two. And we've seen this over the last few weeks that as Paul has developed this theme of the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. We've seen how that's been developed in terms of the fullness of knowledge. And last week, the fullness of God's promise. And here in this passage especially, Paul's talking about the fullness of truth. He is combating these half-truths that are infiltrating the church there. He says uh, at the beginning of the, the second paragraph there, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. There's a kind of empty truth, a half-truth, that was coming at the church there. And in fact, there was two half-truths. Incidentally, two half-truths don't add up to a whole truth. There were two problems in particular that Paul was addressing, and they're both alluded to in these verses. These two problems are what we would call syncretism, and legalism. Syncretism came especially from their Greek and Gentile neighbors, and legalism was coming from their Jewish neighbors. Now, I want to unpack that just a little bit because it helps us to understand the fullness of the truth that that Paul is preaching here. So syncretism is when you would take elements of the native local religion and mix it with the proclamation of the gospel. And there's something to that, because Christianity is always, see, people will say sometimes, an incarnational religion. It always is translated into the understanding and the language of the local people. And so we absolutely want to have to adopt an understanding of the local culture. So it gets it part right, but this is just the danger of a half-truth, right? Syncretism can also lead to well, it can lead to compromise when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, can even lead to idolatry. For example, I've done um, several short-term mission trips down to Haiti. and in Haiti, there would be all over the place, I would see kind of quasi-Christian imagery. It would look like a crucifix, but the person or the creature who was on the, the cross was not my Jesus and i would start to ask some of our friends down in haiti what is this about and they're like well see some when some of the first missionaries came to haiti they wanted the gospel to make sense they wanted it to be relevant and so they took elements of the native voodoo religion and melded it with elements of christianity and the gospel so that it would make sense to the local people but what ends up happening is it just gets co-opted by the local religion. People are not praying to Jesus. They're praying to some other God who just happens to also be on a cross. Well, this has happened across time in all sorts of different places. And this is what, what Paul is addressing here. There was a kind of syncretism happening. This is what he's, he's alluding to when he talks about the philosophy and the empty deceit. As the Greeks would think, well, we've got a whole pantheon of gods. We can get your Jesus in there. I think there's some room in there in between, you know, Aphrodite and Zeus. We, got, we can scoot, up, scoot over a little bit, guys. We'll get Jesus in there too, see? And people still do this today. I'll talk about more about that in, in a minute. But this syncretism is a half-truth which ends up just leading us away from the Lord. That was one of the half-truths that Paul was addressing. The other one, which was especially coming from their Jewish neighbors, was legalism. This might be a little bit more familiar of a term. But when we talk about legalism, it's where we're bringing in elements of the Old Testament Jewish law and saying Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. And all you need is Jesus and a little bit more law keeping. And then God is going to accept you. Paul points out in this passage a couple of the elements in particular from the Old Testament law that were being foisted upon Christian converts. It related to their dieting, their diet laws, not like are you going to do keto or you know uh, that, that kind of diet, but more are you going to eat kosher? Are you going to limit your foods just to the sort of things that were acceptable according to the Old Testament dietary restrictions? The other one was in terms of when the Sabbath was going to be celebrated. This was another uh, flashpoint, as you know from reading the Gospels, how many times Jesus runs afoul from the religious leaders because of what he has to say about the Sabbath. In each of these cases, it might be innocuous in its own right. You say, well, what's the big deal, what you eat, or what day you celebrate on? But the problem came when it was like, okay, yeah, God loves you, he accepts you, he forgives you because of Jesus, and these other things that you do that's where paul starts to get really upset and says wait a second no christ is the fulfillment of the law he says that those old testament laws were the shadow of which jesus himself is now the substance so in both cases you have these two half truths the syncretism from the greeks or the legalism from the jews both of them get part of it right the legalism understands that jesus was jewish it's always like a big you know wait a second jesus was jewish you mean he wasn't christian believe it or not jesus was jewish but he was the jewish messiah he came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it so there's some truth to it but it misses out on the fact that christ is the end of the law for all who believe And the syncretism gets some elements correct to it, too. Christianity, the gospel, is always relevant to its native culture, but it also transcends it and isn't merely co-opted by the local religion. And so, in both of these cases, Paul says, you've got half-truths here, and we want to instead look at the fullness of truth. He says in verse 9, In him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority christ is the fullness of truth now i got more to say about that but let me pause for just a minute because maybe some of you are thinking well, pastor, that sounds really interesting, this kind of legalism that was infecting the church, or that sort of syncretism, and you're, you're talking about 2,000 years ago in a land far, far away, or you're talking about in Haiti. Here in America today, we don't have people doing voodoo worship, or we don't have folks who are insisting upon keeping the Jewish law. Like, this just doesn't apply to us. Let me ask you, can we still get taken in by half-truths? Well, you better believe it and they are just as dangerous as ever they might look a little bit different than they did in paul's time but you better believe that there are still half truths being peddled as the real deal today i want to give you just one example uh, there was a, a there is a sociologist by the name of christian smith And a few years back, Christian Smith and some of his colleagues wanted to kind of take the temperature of where American religion was at, especially American Christianity. And to do that, they were studying the the faith of America's youth. And the thought was, if you understand what the youth believe, they're getting that from somewhere. It's usually a good barometer of what the adults believe, too. And so they set out with what was called the National Study of Youth and Religion to get a handle on what does the faith life look like of American Christians. And I should say, he was doing this from a secular university. He wasn't doing this for churches or anything like that. It was just from a sociological perspective, let's see what people believe. And so they set out and doing all sorts of of surveys and interviews. It was a really well-funded, comprehensive study. And as the results started coming back, Christian Smith, who was himself a Christian, it's a good name, I guess, for him, uh, he started to get a little bit worried. Because as he's looking at the results, not just as a sociologist, but as a believer, he's like, I'm not seeing anything that looks like real Christianity in the responses that I'm getting from these kids. And they were interviewing people who were Catholic and Lutheran and Baptist and non-denominational and all across the board. So it wasn't just one denomination, it wasn't even just one faith. They were even talking with with, uh, young Jews and Muslims and so forth. And they're like, we're finding that these kids, they're extremely inarticulate. About their faith, they're not talking about what they believe, and he was getting really distressed about it. There, it seems like there's no even language from the scriptures or theology or anything like that. But then, then he found something that gave him just a little bit of hope, like a drowning man finding a piece of driftwood. He recognized as he was going back through the interviews and transcribing them that the word grace was coming up a lot. And he thought, oh, thank goodness, okay, at least they're talking about grace. But his relief was short-lived because as he dug deeper looking at the, the research, it turns out that a lot of the kids were just talking about the TV show Will and Grace. Even when they were talking about grace, it had nothing to do with Jesus and the gospel. In their book, which came out later, Soul Searching, they had this chilling conclusion. The authors write that it's not so much that U.S. Christianity is being secularized Rather more subtly, Christianity is either degenerating into a pathetic version of itself, or more significantly, Christianity is actively being colonized and displaced by a quite different religious faith. Whoa! Christianity is actively being colonized and displaced by a quite different religious faith. When they interviewed America's youth to find out the nature of their beliefs, they didn't find traditional historic Christianity. They ended up coming up with a name for what they discovered. They called it moralistic therapeutic deism, right? Say that five times fast. Moralistic therapeutic deism. There's nobody, who's, nobody uh, in America who says, oh yeah, I'm a moralistic therapeutic deist. It's not the kind of thing that you would sign up for, or go to the first church of moralistic therapeutic deism, it was more a description. It was moralistic in the sense that it was focused on, well, what is your faith about? Well, you know, God just wants you to be a good person. He wants you to be nice to other people. Okay. It's therapeutic. The goal of life is that you should be happy. God just wants everybody to kind of be happy and to get along. And it was deistic. That's a, kind of a technical term, which means there's a God, but he's just sort of up there in the sky, and he doesn't really have anything to do with our day-to-day lives. He can't be bothered. The authors of the study, Christian Smith and others, say with this vision of moralistic therapeutic deism, it has a picture of God as like a, a cosmic therapist or a divine butler. Hmm. He's not going to meddle in your affairs too much. You know, if you need something, you can be like, hey, God, yeah, come on. We're in trouble down here. We need a little bit of help. Okay, okay, okay. I'll come and help. Or he's there just to help you have your best life now, something like that. This is not the fullness of truth that the scriptures proclaim. This is not what Paul is talking about when he says that in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And then he says, and in him, in Jesus, you are filled. See, the fullness of the gospel gives the lie to all of these half-truths that infect our world, both ancient and modern, Our faith is not moralistic. It's not just God saying, you better be good or else I'm not going to love you. Instead, it is evangelical in that root sense. Evangel means the gospel, that we receive this grace from God unmerited, freely for the sake of Christ. It's evangelical. It's not therapeutic. It's sacrificial. The message of Christianity is not God just wants your life to be easy and comfortable. He just wants you to be happy. No, the message of Jesus is, take up your cross and follow me. The one who loses his life is going to find it, see. Our life is patterned after the cross. It's sacrificial, it's not therapeutic. And it's not deistic, it's trinitarian. It's not just a matter of, oh, there's some God up in the sky who comes down every once in a while. It's Trinitarian. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit conspiring together for your salvation and for mine. It's a Father who loves His world so much that He sent His Son into our frail human flesh in order to take your sin and mine on Himself and through his death and his resurrection has redeemed you by grace, reconciled you to the Father, and he wasn't done with you yet, so he sends his Holy Spirit into your hearts to strengthen you, to follow Christ in the way that leads to everlasting life. Does that sound like, well, God just wants you to be nice and to be nice to other people? No! And you say, well, pastor, that sounds okay. But, you know, everybody's being so mean to each other nowadays. That moralistic therapeutic deism doesn't sound so bad. Like, we could do a little bit more of just being nice to each other. And here again, half-truths, y'all. Half-truths. Yeah, you should be nice to other people. Don't, hear me, you know, don't walk out tonight and say, Pastor told me to be a jerk to other people. Apparently that's what it means to be a Christian. No! Of course you want to be nice. Or, scriptures don't use the word nice. They use the word kind use of goodness. We use of love, agape, self-sacrifice. That's not just nice, see. So we have a faith in the fullness of God's truth that is formed by who our God is, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that is motivated and patterned after His grace, given freely for the sake of Christ. Don't be content with those easy-going half-truths that seem so nice. I'll leave you with this last thought, because some people will think, well, okay, fine, you, know, you preacher types, you're so interested in truth all the time and doctrine and, and teaching, but does that really make a difference in the way that I live? And I would say 100% it does. I'll give you just a couple of examples. One, what we call modern science, and nowadays people look at science as being opposed to religion, There's the scientists over here, ooh. And then there's the Christians over here, ah. Uh, brothers and sisters, it should not be. And in fact, what we call science and the sciences today was unleashed and became powerful because of a Christian vision of the world. Before the time of Christ, the Greeks in particular, and also in the Eastern religions, had a vision of the world where if there is a God, that God is kind of all wrapped up in the cosmos. This is sometimes called pantheism. And if it's pantheism, if God is kind of part of the world, you could never, for example, do an experiment and expect to find consistent results from one experiment to the next. Because, well, if it's all kind of wrapped up in God and he's just sort of capricious and maybe one day it's this way, another way it's the next. How could you ever really grow in knowledge and understanding? But the Christian vision comes along and says, no, this world is a creation. God suffuses all things. He fills all things. But the creation itself has its own integrity and understanding to it. Therefore, we can study the world we can make sense of this world because there is a good and loving creator who ordered this world with his truth. See, does that fullness of truth help us to understand it better? You better believe it. And despite what people would tell you today, many of the greatest scientists through history have been Christian believers. It's still the truth, but that's not a fashionable thing to say nowadays. I'll give you one other example from the other end of the spectrum. Tomorrow is the feast day for a man who is near and dear to my heart. He was a simple churchman. He was a church organist in the church of St. Martin in Leipzig, Germany. And he was a man whose heart had been set aflame with the fullness of the truth of the gospel. He's a guy who week by week served God's people sitting at the organ bench playing music for them. And you think, well, what's an organist have to do with the the fullness of truth, the beauty of, of God's world? Well, that organist who seemed like just a regular old church musician toiling away Sunday by Sunday was a little guy by the name of Johann Sebastian Bach, (laughs) who served his Lutheran church faithfully and joyfully with a heart filled with wonder and joy at the fullness of God's truth. We would not have Johann Sebastian Bach if we did not have the fullness of truth. And, well, I'm biased, but I would say that would be a big loss. I could go on all night with this. When we see the, the fullness of God's truth, it changes the way we live, it helps us to understand who we are and how we operate in this world. Don't be content with those watered-down, milk-toast half-truths. God has something better, the fullness of Christ for you and for me. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing to our triune God with verse 6 of the hymn.